It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Thanks for joining us today on Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Sterholt alongside Brian Doe. And today, you guessed it, Secure Act 2.0 on the agenda once again. We're going to give you a sneak peek at some of the most important pieces to know about new proposed legislation. And are we getting closer and closer to this actually being passed and impacting you individually. We're going to be talking about that on today's show. Uh, Before we get to all of that, if you're new to the program, let me introduce you to Brian Doe. He is the Certified Financial Planner, heading up Livingworth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country with an office in Greensboro, Georgia, but also with clients all around. So we like to say the Lake Country and beyond. We're online at livingworth.com. That's where you can go for past episodes. Check out lots of great information there as well. Brian, great to be with you this week. How are you, my friend? Uh, doing great. We're just easing into summer here. The girls have uh, fully adapted their sleep schedules already. So, um, M- my... meaning they sleep until like eleven a.m. now, or yeah, they're all teenagers. So yeah, yeah, we're pushing that ten, eleven o'clock uh, time frame. I think they're staying up a little bit later, uh, but yeah, it's all good. That's uh, that's good stuff. I was never that kid that slept in really, really late for whatever reason. And then whenever we would visit, like uh, my cousin was especially. Like, I mean, he went into the phase where he wouldn't get up until 12, 1, pushing mm, 2 yeah. o'clock in the afternoon. And I just, like, I, I couldn't understand it. I was like, I've already done so much today. And it's, uh, you know, before noon, I never got the uh, appeal of sleeping in that late. That was a bit of a night owl. I, I, I would go to bed very late and then, but, but still, it's like 10 o'clock maybe would be late for me. Yeah. It's been a long time. I, I don't remember those days pretty well. 16, 17, 18 is probably when I had my best discipline. I think I was going to bed at 10 o'clock every night and waking up at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. to do push-ups and go for a run and then, you know, ready to go at school bright and early. And uh, I, I just was keeping myself so busy with work and school probably. I just didn't even have the energy to stay awake past <laughs> 10 o'clock those days. But. That's well, a commendable, commendable behavior at that age. Yeah, and then and and then later in life, you're like, "What? That's overrated. I'm going to sleep in today." So <laughs> right, right. Now, <laughs> Funny to see that in, all that good stuff. I hear you have uh, you you are ready to fight on today's show. What's uh, what's the story? Well, here? you you may want to you know, consider yourself lucky that you're uh, you know, remote, not yeah. in person, because I I am on the verge of a major accomplishment. I guess would be the right word. And uh, I think I've mentioned in the past that the girls that I've been doing jujitsu for about a year and a half, but looks like with this next uh, testing cycle, I may may advance to the blue belt stage. So better nice. watch out. I'll be super lethal. What does blue belt mean that you can do? Is there like a certain, is there an easy thing that you can tell us that like describes your level of ability? Like I can break three boards or I can jump five feet while kicking my foot above my head or like what's the, what's the marker for blue belt? Yeah. It sounds like you're describing more maybe karate-ish Probably, type yeah. of stuff there. Yeah. So uh, it, it's more just some techniques and, and basic moves. It, it just means you're a really good white belt. There's certain things you've had to learn, master certain numbers of classes and things to to do and you get tested on your ability on the on all the foundational moves but um moving to blue belt i think will be fun because it opens up a whole bunch of other stuff so we'll see very cool Uh, i you know i i've seen you know you you push out videos every once in a while um we're gonna have to tell producer andrea i think we're gonna need a jujitsu video uh, there you go at some point so so we can put visuals to this uh description 
choking out your tax bill or something like that. I love it. Yes, yes. We can come up with all sorts of uh, all sorts of good parallels. Fantastic. Uh, well, let's dive into the topic today a little bit, uh, Brian. We don't want this to be overwhelming to listeners. So if you're like, oh man, Secure Act, doesn't that thing have like 100 moving parts? Well, yes, but uh, you've done some diligent work here, Brian, to try and boil down what Congress is talking about into some of the items that are going to most impact our regular listeners. So we're talking somebody approaching retirement, uh, maybe recently retired, really looking at the pieces of the SECURE Act that focus on the retiree or someone who's got that on their mind, because there's lots of other stuff in here about business owners and things like that, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's stuff in this for contributors and distributors. So let, let's make that distinction. If you're still working, still contributing, uh, if you're retired and you're withdrawing from your IRA or you're approaching required minimum distribution age, I think there's going to be some stuff in here that everybody's going to like. But let me take you down a quick trip down memory lane. And let's go back and recap what happened with the original SECURE Act, which if, if you recall, they were getting clever with their acronyms, and that stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement. N- not a mouthful at all. think that acronym all. is awesome, man, I got it. You, you just wait. You just wait. There's more. Uh, yeah, I want to hear it. What's what's the more? Because I, I can't get any well, worse than that, right? No, no, we'll, we'll get to it. it, it oh, you're teasing us. You're teasing yeah, us. Yeah, I'm okay. teasing it right now. But uh, <laughs> anyway, when, when Secure Act came out, that was 2019, uh, it did some things uh, similar to what the new versions are going to do as far as delaying required minimum distributions, which maybe some people perceive as a good thing. Increased contributions amounts. You know, there, there were some things that it did to uh, enhance catch-up provisions and things like that. So that, that was good because a lot of these contribution amounts, when they're set up, they weren't set up to be indexed with inflation. And the, the dollar amounts got a little bit outdated because... Uh, you know, they had not built in these inflation adjustments. So it sounds like there's going to be some of that coming. But then also in 2019, they, they killed the stretch IRA. You remember your non-spouse beneficiaries. Right. Mm-hmm. They were, there was a time when they would be able to stretch their inherited IRA out until age 85. You know, so if you were 55, when you inherited an IRA, you had 30 years to draw it out. Maybe some of those were in your peak income years, but those were the smallest distributions. And then you know, you'd have to have it completely drawn down by, by age 85. Well, they shortened that to 10 years. So now your non-spouses, again, a spouse can still inherit the IRA, make it their own, follow the same distribution rules. But the non-spouse, you know, children, uh, nieces, nephews, whoever, whoever you're leaving it to, they're going to have to look at a strategy to draw this down over 10 years. Well, that could create major tax problems for that type of beneficiary. So you should really keep in mind not just your situation, your lifespan and the mechanics of of your tax brackets and all that, but you really need to look at what's going to be happening with your beneficiaries when they go to inherit this. Because what they what they're continuing to do looks like it helps retirees, savers, people contributing to 401ks but they've really built it in so it zaps your heirs. And that, as I've mentioned before, really makes the Roth contributions more and more important. And well, the good news is, is there's lots of that in this new SECURE Act. 
Lots of that in the new Secure Act. Okay, so um, obviously things have, you know, a lot of 2019 mentions there, and then this kind of goes through another iteration because the pandemic happens and lots more discussion, as with any legislation that comes through, and we get Secure Act 2.0, and further discussion on Secure Act 2.0 ensues over the last couple of months, and now what are we looking at in terms of changes, or where has the attention started to focus um, as these discussions have morphed? on. Yeah, well, I think the interesting thing to look at is the the House and the Senate versions of this. So they're they're both uh, advancing legislation that deals with all of these topics. So there's going to be some overlap and some similarity. There's going to be some things that are different. They'll they'll reconcile all that. But if we look at the House, and and let's let's stop calling it Secure Act 2.0, I guess, because the actual name of this is going to be something different, but but it's building on that original Secure Act. So in the House, the act is called Securing a Strong Retirement Act. And when you look at the vote, it passed, I think this was back in March, it passed 414 to 5. Overwhelmingly supported. Right. Yes, the last time we had that near unanimous support for anything was for the SECURE Act. And so you have to look at this. I'm a, I'm a little bit cynical, maybe, but um, what what is it about this that gets everybody you know, to simultaneously agree. Well, it's probably a quick legislative win uh, that, again, looks like it benefits a lot of people uh, coming up on the election. You know, we were dealing with these contentious build back better bills and and all this crazy spending. I think this was maybe is not as damaging to individuals, savers. There, there's not the, I'm not seeing the, as big a tax bombs uh, potentially in this because those were put in place with the original one. So when you delay uh, IRA distributions and withdrawals, it's going to increase the balance of those of those plans. So the cynic in me looks at it as how are they angling to get more of your retirement account? How are they angling to increase tax revenue? Because all of these proposals come out of the budgeting side of, of the you know, legislative process. So somebody has looked at this and you know, just decided that Somehow this is going to be in favor or they make it uh, you know, so that they don't lose a bunch of tax revenue because of required minimum distributions. So anyway, that's that's the cynic in me. But there are several things in the House version, automatic enrollment for employers and, and employees in, in 401k plans, uh, extends the required minimum distribution age. Uh, and it actually has, if you are an employer and you're wanting to set up a tax or set up a 401k plan. There are some tax credits that actually help you cover the cost of getting those plans set up. So just, just kind of uh, trying to find something here for everyone. Now, in the Senate version of this, man, I have to give the marketers or the maybe they had some people that are good at Scrabble or word those word games. Wordle, I think, is the, the popular one now. Right, right. And they have come up with the retirement improvement and saving enhancement to supplement healthy investments for the Nest Ag Act. Got that? They've outdone themselves, it sounds like. That acronym's out to rise and shine. I'll let you rise break out a piece of paper and pencil and to shine. noodle that out. But, Goodness um, gracious. Yeah. Amazing. So so anyway, this version passing through uh, Senate, there's the other version uh, you know, cruising through the House. When you see that much uh, support, and like I said, near unanimous approval of this, this is probably going to get done. So let's, let's plan accordingly and, and, and 
dig in and find out what we need to do. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to uh, digging in. Um, I, I'm going to take a minute to recover from that acronym, however. Uh, that is definitely <laughs> on the uh, high on the ridiculous scale. Uh, so h- how many key points are we pulling out here? We've got, because uh, I know, like we said, it seems like we could take this in 100 different directions. Uh, but it seems like you've kind of boiled things down to maybe, you know, four or five, six at the most uh, key points here. Is that right? Yeah, let's let's look at about four or five up okay. here and... and uh see what the what the positives are uh, and we'll start out with savers so if, if you're well, employers and and savers if you're looking to set up retirement plans they have dramatically increased the options for employers to automatically enroll their employees in 401ks so what they're trying to do here is stimulate savings encourage savings and so if you take a new job uh, it used to be you had to opt in to your 401k to participate well now they've made it in the past so that you could automatically enroll, but I think they're making it even easier to automatically enroll people. And then you can set the contribution amount that you want employees to, to be making. And you know, let's say you started at one or two or 3%, just, just so they don't negatively react to it and, and decide to opt out of the plan. And then you could set your match. And every year you could increase that savings amount by a percent up to about 10%. Well, this is great because more people need to participate in 401k plans. Most people don't have significant balances. If you could get everyone contributing 5 to 10% plus their employer match, it would go a long way to you know, helping people have more of, a, of a nest egg. And there's a little bit of a behavioral finance element to this because if you let the money get to your checking account, you most likely you're going to spend it. But if you get money into an account that's restricted or a little harder to withdraw from or there's penalties to do it, people are amazingly uh, disciplined, I guess, or, or maybe uh, controlled in, into not accessing that account. So putting this wrapper around it makes it more likely that people will actually have some savings when they get to retirement. And yeah, so this is a good thing and, and probably more for my audience. If you're an employer, if you're, if you're making contributions or you want to you know, tweak your, your plan, you're going to have some more options here to help your employees get started, contribute more. And uh, you know they can always opt out. If you automatically enroll them and they come back and say, well, I didn't really want to be in the, the plan. You, know, you can, that's the method. That's the, the way to get people signed up, but then they have to actively remove themselves as a participant to, to get out of it. And, and that, that's very effective at getting people into and, and starting and contributing, but it doesn't lock them in. They're, they're not compelled to, to contribute. I love that as the default. I think that could help a lot of people who just aren't educated on the, the topic and the subject. I know of a family member who went through something similar. They didn't uh, for years. They could have been taking advantage of a match and just for whatever reason, it just they weren't in tune to it. And then uh, all of a sudden they realized, oh, I could have been getting free money all these years. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they just didn't know. And so they fell a couple of years behind in that uh, in that savings regard. And they probably wouldn't have noticed the difference if they'd been contributing that 2 or 3%, whatever it was out of their account and, and would be much better off for it. So I like that one. That's one like helping people save themselves from themselves a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah I think this one's well-intentioned. Yeah, that's a good intentions. Yes, absolutely. And, and it doesn't seem at least like it would have major negative consequences as people can opt out as they see fit. So yep. that one definitely seems like a win-win and one, uh, no, no wonder so many um, were on the positive side of voting for this legislation just for that one thing alone. 
what about Roth? Because I know that that's something that's kind of been a central point of a lot of the Secure Act discussion, kind of what happens with Roths and those kinds of things. So the word that's getting kicked around and uh, I think has made it into some article headlines is Rothification. Rothification, okay. Rothify the the landscape for uh, retirement plans. And you know I'm a fan of the Roth. And and I've been encouraging people to contribute to Roths. Even if you're in a higher tax bracket, you're paying tax on a smaller dollar amount today to take advantage of this Roth window and get money into a tax-free bucket that you can access at any time without triggering you know, big taxes and things like that. I, I, I think the, the Roth is fantastic. The problem is, is so many options for contributing to it were limited over the years. You know, if you had decent income, you, you know, disqualified from being able to contribute to a Roth, it was not an option in 401k plans. Well, well, now that's changed and a lot of people have been contributing to Roth 401k. But if there are some individual self-employed, you know, people that maybe have good incomes, but they're, they're, they're them and their spouse as examples, the SEP IRA has significantly higher contribution potential than the 401k. And if you have the, the income, I think it's like 25% of, uh, of income for uh, standard employers and maybe like, uh, I think it's like 20% for sole proprietorships. But anyway, if you wanted to do a Roth, you did not have that option on that contribution vehicle of the SEP and the simple. So a lot of people were going to the 401k to get the Roth option, but you got a little smaller contribution limit and maybe some more complexity and cost to to setting that up. Well, the great news now is if you are a small employer, you don't have um, a lot of longer term employees, you know, two, three years, I think is the, the, the phase out that you, if you set up a SEP and you have employees that have been there for more than two years, you have to contribute the same percentage to them. So if it's 25%, you have to do this for employees. Well, if the employee is a spouse or a child or something like that, you know, maybe that's, that's a great way for everybody to to get a big bump into their retirement plan. If you've got a lot of employees, you know, this may not be the best option. But if you were on the fence about you know, 401k or maybe wanting to do one of these SEPs or SIMPLES, well, they're bringing the Roth option to all of those. So that's good news. It, it opens up a big window. And, and the, uh, the other one, well, well, I'll get to the employer match in just a minute. So. Oh, you're getting ahead of yourself, Brian. Yeah, sorry. I'm just very eager about all these positives. So yeah, the Rothification, more Roth options, and uh, yeah. That's it for right now. Rothifying the landscape. I like there that. You go. Uh, yeah. So, so much emphasis behind the Roth. Roth, Roth, Roth seems to be the mentality there. All right. So, we've got so far automated contributions, check mark by that one, Rothification or Rothifying uh, the you know landscape of retirement mm-hmm. planning. Two of the big things coming out of Secure Act 2.0 or Rise and Shine or however we're <laughs> right. going to couch this thing these days. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Now go ahead. Uh, employer matching there. We're moving into the 401k specifics now. Yeah. So here, here's a big development on the 401k side. And I like this one a lot because if you're contributing and maxing out your contribution to the 401k, well, if that's you know, 19,000 and you get $6,000 to uh, batch with, with your catch up provision, if you're over, if you're over 50, uh, you know, that's great. But then if your employer is matching, 
you could be you'd be looking at uh, you know several thousand dollars that had to go into the traditional 401k right so if you were trying to maximize roth but your employer was kicking in you know 5 or 8 or you know 10,000 dollars whatever the match could be all of that went into, into the traditional well that's fine uh, it gives you some option of, to get some money into the traditional and some into the roth but you weren't able to get the entire amount into the roth well, now you're going to be able, it looks like, I, I shouldn't say any of these things are absolute, but it looks like you're going to be able to categorize the employer match as a Roth contribution. Well, in the past, you could take that contribution and go through a, a cumbersome uh, paperwork process to convert it to a Roth and pay the taxes. I think what they've done is said, we don't have to be that, you know, set, set that barrier there you, you can get the, to this you're telling me the government is eliminating a paperwork barrier that's impressive crazy, I, crazy as it sounds i yeah. know have to give them a Unusual. pat on the back i guess yeah so yeah it, it, i think what'll end up happening is is the employer match will get counted as a roth contribution if you want it and then uh you would just pay the tax on that so so be mindful of that you will incur the tax bill to to convert that but again you're paying it at today's rates we all know rates are going higher in 2026 because the current rates do expire at the end of 2025. So you have a number of years, you have three, three or four years that, that you could say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and pay this tax, get the Roth uh, as heavily funded as, as possible. And again, if you go back to that behavioral finance type of thinking, if I pay the tax bill and what makes it to my checking account is net of you know, the just the withholdings for the, the 401k contributions and paying the tax on the employer's contribution, you know, I, I probably was just going to spend that money anyway. And um, this gets it into a vehicle that you never have to report taxes on, never has to factor into the taxability of your social security benefit, doesn't kick into uh, cause your capital gains tax rates to be higher in the future. There's just so many good things about it. I would encourage everyone to pay the tax today on the smaller amount, it will position you beautifully in the future. Fantastic. Uh, leading of us here, Brian, through these different changes. So we've got the automated contributions on the table, Rothification, those employer match reclassifications and the 401k, eliminating barriers. All of this I like so far. Uh, one thing I haven't heard us go down uh, the rabbit hole yet is RMDs. And I know that was another really big thing in the original Secure Act. What about with uh, 2.0? Are we seeing further changes there? Yeah. So they went from 70 and a half, which was kind of a wacky age. and We hated the half number. Yes. Yeah. They, they just throw you off from the get-go. It's like, am I 70? So what, did I turn 70 and a half this year? Or is that next year? And you get like almost break out a calculator to, to figure out when you turn 70 and a half. Well, they simplify that and made it 72. Well, great. So they gave us 18 months longer to wait to have to, to take distributions from IRAs. With Secure Act 2.0 or Rise and Shine or whatever it's going to be, it looks like that number is going to 75. And it'll do so over time. I, I, they've, I've seen some proposed schedules where maybe uh, – you know, bumps to 73 and then in five years it'll jump to 74 another five years it jumps to 75 so that this plays out over time but you know if you hit uh you know, retirement at age 65 you now have a decade of you know strategizing uh, what what to do with roth conversions early distributions from iras so i see the delayed required minimum distribution age 
as just an advantage to give you a little bit more control and a little bit more you know, flexibility in these later planning years if you have capital gains, if you need to take a, a larger distribution, or if you get some income from a, a part-time job or a real estate property. Now you at least have the ability to say, well, uh, maybe this isn't a great year to take additional money from my retirement account, so I'll wait. Uh, you're not compelled to, you know, for those early 70s years, you, you've get, at least got to your mid 70s. But, you know, for most people, social security, pensions, you know, those things all start in your 60s or maybe 70 if you, if you wait as long as possible for social security. Again, you lose control of that income equation over time. And I'm encouraging everyone, you know, from about 60 or 62, depending on when they re actually retire, Look at these Roth options, look at Roth conversions, look at potentially taking money out of retirement accounts sooner that don't, don't wait and let that required minimum distribution happen without some thought. Because if it does, these accounts can grow larger. You're in, in, to me, okay, so going back to the cynicism, th this to me looks like where they're, they're gonna try and get you. You delay till 75 to take required minimum distributions thinking they're doing you a big favor. Oh, but now your IRA balance is larger and life expectancy is shorter, even though they've tweaked those tables a little bit. Well, that all that's going to result in is a larger required minimum distribution. Don't do that to yourself. Don't wait and let it just happen according to their plan, because now you have a larger balance, larger taxes during your lifetime, and potentially a larger balance that your non-spouse will eventually inherit. And then they've got that 10-year distribution rule. If you had put everything in Roth, those non-spouse beneficiaries can let that account grow tax deferred and tax free for a decade. And then when they take it out, there, there's no tax. Way better for everyone involved if you do some things to get the, the Roth conversions made. That's fantastic, Brian. And again, those delayed RMDs continuing to be pushed back, it looks like. So another thing to be keeping an eye on. And that can be, uh, that's helpful for people who maybe were bummed about the, the stretch IRA changing. Are, are those two mm -hmm. things, uh, th th those are closely related, right? Yeah. Uh, the stretch IRA is, again, for non-spouse beneficiaries. The RMDs are for the owners. Now, okay. inherited IRAs do have a mandatory distribution schedule. It used to be a lot like the required minimum distribution calculation. Now it's just 10 years. You can take it all the first year. You could take equal amounts over 10 years. You could do it for a couple of years, stop for a couple of years. But by the end of 10 years, it has to all be withdrawn. Okay. Makes sense. And, and so again, if, if you leave it in there and just let it grow, it's going to be a larger amount, larger tax bill. So get ahead of that. Okay. Good to know. Uh, any other things from Secure Act 2.0, Rise and Shine, that are jumping out to you that you want to bring up? My understanding, this, this probably is not going to affect too many people that are actually clients of mine because I wouldn't let them do stuff like this in the first place if I had any say-so in it. But uh, prohibited uh, transactions, sometimes people try to buy you know, real estate or collectibles or, or different things. They try to take loans from IRAs. They think it's like a 401k. And so a lot of these prohibited transactions can cause the entire IRA balance to be become taxable. So what, what's going to happen, at least what looks like is going to happen is if you have this prohibited uh, transaction, you're going to owe tax on the amount that you used, you know, whether it's for the loan or for the improper purchase, whatever it may be, uh, it's not going to blow up your whole balance. So if you've done any of these prohibited transactions and are looking to 
minimize the damage from it, it looks like there's going to be some relief in, in this new legislation. Okay. Again, not, not someone who's been working with you for a long time is typically going to be impacted by, but maybe if there's a DIYer out there who did some of these transactions, uh, that's certainly good to know for yeah, them. There's a lot of bad advice out there around yeah. this topic. So what about timing, Brian? I mean, uh, you know, the original Secure Act was in 2019. Here we are midway uh, approximately through 2022. What's mm-hmm. the timing of all of this uh, getting done, passed, and, and stopping theoretical, but actually coming to fruition? Yeah, well, I think I mentioned earlier, with this much legislative support and you know needing needing a win and, and seeing like everybody's on the same track, I would say plan as though this passes this year. So sit down and look at the most likely provisions, which ones are going to impact you, and if these kick in, this could get passed, you know, towards the end of the year maybe, and then it's retroactive. Well, then you're going to have to scramble and try and figure out, you know. Should I take advantage of this or should I have? Go ahead now and make a plan. Say, so if, if they don't make these changes, you know, we'll, we're going to continue doing probably what we originally planned. But if they do make these changes, here's the opportunities. Here's the, the actions I want to take. And you know, does, does this have a, a win in it for me? Does it have a win in it for me? Those are good questions to certainly propose and ask as you analyze all of these different changes. And uh, this makes a lot of sense, Brian. So if you are listening to today's show and you're kind of like, wow, okay, so all this could pass by the end of the year. How do I plan? How do I strategize for it now? Uh, Well, one great way to do it is to schedule a 15-minute free, that's complimentary call with Brian. See how you can get some clarity around your financial goals to help you prepare for the future. You can do that by going to livingworth.com. Click on the book a call button. Again, that's livingworth.com and click book a call. Or you can dial 706-451-9800. That's 706-451-9800. Make sure that you're working with the right advice givers. There are lots of other layers in this Secure Act 2.0. We hit some of the high points on today's show. So make sure that you have uh, the right people giving you advice, guiding you through these different changes, because as we've seen, as we've covered several different episodes on this topic, things can change quickly. Uh, and that's why Brian is here with his 20 plus years of experience. He's been through the ups and downs of the market, these kinds of legislative changes before. And don't forget, uh, Brian's a certified financial planner, and that certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. Uh, if you don't know, CFP professionals meet rigorous education, training, and ethical standards, and they are committed to serving you uh, and their clients with best interests in mind for you. So prepare for a more secure tomorrow. Go to livingworth.com and book a call to have a conversation. See if you're a good fit with Brian and the Living Worth team. Brian, any final thoughts on uh, Secure Act 2.0 as we uh, inch closer to that becoming a reality, maybe perhaps in just a few months? Yeah, my, my only uh, observation is I think we're going back to uh, pre-2002 scenarios around the rules and calculations for IRA distributions, where it's so incalculable and hard to enforce. But the you know, one side, if they're unable to enforce this because they've made it so complex and changed numbers you know, mid, midstream, and, and it's going to matter when you inherited an IRA and the like, uh, it, it could create a calculation error. And I think it's extra important to make sure you're making these distributions correctly, because if they ever do catch up with you, even though they're going to have a harder time enforcing it, uh, if you've made an error, the penalties are, are, are severe. Well, that's helpful perspective. And uh, thank you. Some what, what what was old is new again, it sounds like. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Going back to the future. Yeah. Does it make sense? I would like that even better. 
Well, there you have it. Again, uh, don't hesitate to reach out if you've got questions, livingworth.com. And if you come in for a review after that 15-minute complimentary call, if you come in and get a full look at your plan, even if it's over Zoom, maybe you can convince Brian to do a few jiu-jitsu moves for you as part of the consultation. I don't know, Brian. Maybe that's like a that's like an upsell, right? Like if they, uh, you know, there's some sort of like extra VIP club that gets to see you do jiu-jitsu if they... Well, yeah, or maybe I could yeah. te- teach a little, uh, you know, little... Uh, escape moves or something like that. That's right. Knows. Just escape of out of stuff. the problems in your portfolio. With Make this you a hard target. Move. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, maybe we can go real salesy and go like the the first five people to book a call get uh, a free jujitsu lesson to go along with this. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if I'm qualified to be a teacher yet. So let's uh, <laughs> let's maybe save that one. All right, all right. We'll save that one for later on when you go uh, black belt. Is that the top in in jujitsu? Yeah, uh, it's white, blue. Uh, purple, brown, then black. All right, so a, a little, a little while away to get yeah. to that black belt. Uh, fun nonetheless. Brian, thank you for the help. Enjoyed this one, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up again soon, and we'll keep our eye on Secure Act 2.0 as uh, it kind of uh, continues to evolve over the rest of the year. Yeah, sounds great. Right. For Brian, I'm Walter. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.